Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. As uh, my dad used to say, let's get this show on the road. That sounds a little bit, a little bit uh, disrespectful, doesn't it? Maybe a little bit less respect than what is afforded the house of the Lord and what we do here. What we do here is very important. Amen. Amen. Our interaction with God through his word and his spirit is perhaps uh, the most important thing we could do in this life is interact with God. I'm glad I get to do it with you fine people this afternoon. Let's go to the Lord and ask him to help us to do it well and according to his will. Shall we do that together? Amen. God, we love you today. Thank you so much for your kindness and your generosity. All that you do, all that you give, God, all that you allow. Thank you, Lord, for the blessed privilege of coming together with the people of God to learn of you, to worship you, to come to know you better, to help our relationship with you to grow and become more like you want it to be. We ask you to do that just as much as you can in our hearts today. Help us to worship you and love you and praise you as we ought. Help us to learn, O oh God, of your word and seek to know you better here today. Help us to go away from this day, your will having been fulfilled in our lives. We praise you for it. Have your way in this uh, Bible class, this Sunday school class today. Speak to our hearts as you will it and help us to be not just a hearer only, but a doer of the word as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody said amen. Before you're seated, let's uh, read a text of Scripture found in the book of Luke. We're going to read uh, a story by the Lord Jesus himself. This is what he told his disciples one day, and we're going to read it and look into it and find out some things about how the Lord thinks about stuff. Everybody say stuff. Let's say this. My stuff is not my stuff. It's God's stuff. Luke chapter 12, verse number 16. I guess I better find it, huh? If you've got it, say amen. If you're going to just read it on the screen, say amen. <laughs> Luke 12, verse number 16. And the Bible says, he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that a little odd. How many of you have ever said to yourself, self, blah, 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 or whatever? Kind of strange. Well, they say that uh, it's okay to talk to yourself as long as you don't answer yourself. This guy started off on the wrong foot. He said, uh, I, I've done all this, and I've got all this stuff. But look at what God said to him, verse 20. God said unto him, Thou fool, uh, 
This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich for or towards God. I want to talk to you this afternoon from this little thought. What is your price? Turn to somebody and ask them that question. What is your price? God bless you. You may be seated. And I need to be able to hear myself or I won't be able to preach today. Amen. It's not Brother Terry's fault. Just when I choose to stand down here with you good people on this level to teach, I have no monitors, so that's why I turned one around. What is your price? I want you to pretend with me this afternoon. Can you do that? Can you pretend for a little while with me? We're going to pretend that you are going to go with me on vacation with my family to a destination that we have been several times over our lifetime. Our family loves uh, amusement parks. They love amusement parks that start with a D. There's one in Southern California in the Los Angeles metro area. There's one in the Orlando, Florida area. They have to start with a D, okay? Actually, they have to start with a D, and then the second word has to start with a W or an L. If you're in Orlando, it's Disney World. If you're in Los Angeles, it's Disneyland. But uh, Dad really appreciates the fact that sometimes, not always, but sometimes when we go to an amusement park beginning with DL or DW, Sometimes dad is allowed to go to some other place and the family goes and visits something else while on that vacation and spending most of the time at DL or DW. And uh, you are going to pretend today with me, if you would be so kind, that uh, you're going with me and my family on one of those excursions that's not to DL or DW in Southern California, in the L.A. area, where they have a lot of uh, television shows, particularly audience participation, uh, game shows, that type of uh, presentation. How many of you have ever watched a game show on TV? Anybody here ever been to a game show in person? Okay, nobody. But you know what I'm talking about. Well, let's pretend this afternoon that on our little vacation, we walk into the television studios uh, of a particular game show. And uh, when we get there, we decide, well, we're going to enjoy this no matter what. Uh, and as it appears when I watch or have, it's been several years, watch a game show on TV, it appears that the audience is... Uh, glad to be there, and there's just an upbeat uh, atmosphere feeling there and, and kind of a frenzy type of feeling. And the music is upbeat, and the stage is colorful, and the stakes are high in this particular game show on this particular day that you and I are visiting. In fact, the game show host makes a brag about it. Uh, I don't know what the what the uh, 
most uh, amount of money that's ever been given away or offered to be given away in a game show, probably several hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million dollars. What was that show that they used to test your trivia knowledge? And it was, everybody wants to be a millionaire. Okay, so it does get that high sometimes. Well, that's how high it is today in this little game show that we're visiting. And the show host brags that they are giving away more than they've ever given away before. And he says, welcome to our show today, which is entitled, What is Your Price? And uh, just as you are about to turn to me and ask me, is his hair real or fake? He announces to us, the price, they are giving away $10 million. Now get the picture. The audience, you know, as you would imagine, doesn't need any prompting. They're already applauding. And uh, for the purposes of our illustration today, let's just say it's the most amount of money that's ever been offered to be given away in a television game show. Maybe they've come up with some that are more, I don't know. But we're going to pretend today it's the most. And the game show host says, somebody is going to walk away from here today, or they can walk away from here today with $10 million in their pocket. At which point, you turn to me or I turn to you, one or the other, and say, well, it probably won't be us. Uh, because I don't know about you, I've never had any luck with things like this. I've never had any luck with luck. I guess I really don't believe in luck when you get down to it, but that's for another day. So they reach into the hat, call a name. They took everybody's name when you walked in the door. And lo and behold, guess whose name they call? It's you. And in an instant, you go from being a spectator to a participator to a player in the game. And uh, so we're all excited with you. And the host says, open the curtains. And so we all turn and watch as the curtains part, and we gasp at the sight that you are facing. It is a red, bright red wheelbarrow full of money, overflowing with money. And the same pretty girl, I don't know why they always have pretty girls on there, but the same pretty girl that walked you to the stage a moment ago now pushes the wheelbarrow in your direction. And she parks it right in front of you. And the pearly-toothed game show host, they always have teeth that look like pearls, don't they? Turns to you and he says, have you ever seen $10 million in person? And you say, well, no, not in a while. And the audience laughs at you like you're a stand-up comic, which we both know you're not. But neither am I. And the game show host just kind of tries to egg the moment on. He says, Go ahead, go over there and touch it. So you walk over and you put your hands on the money. He said, no, no, I mean, put your hands down into it. Dig your hands in it. Go ahead, dive in. Pick some of it up and smell it. And so you turn around and you look at me and you look at my family like, is this really happening to me? And we give you the thumbs up, you know. Go ahead, let's, let's, let's see what happens. The game show host says, it is all yours, or at least it can be yours. It can be all yours. The choice is up to you. The only question that you have to answer to get this 10 million bucks is answer the question, 
What is your price? Hmm. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact of even uh, whether or not you have a price? I don't know. I don't know that I've thought about that a lot. Anyway, the applause begins again. The band plays, and you swallow hard. And behind a second curtain, which now opens, there is a large sign. And on this sign is written a question. What are you willing to give? And the game show host said, it is time for you to play what is your price? And he begins to explain the rules, and the rules are very simple. All you have to do to get that money is to agree to one condition. You just have to do one thing, and you get not one million, not two million, but ten million dollars. Now, let's just think about that for a minute. That's a lot of money. What could you do with $10 million? It'd make a nice nest egg, wouldn't it? That's no small sum. Pay off your tuition loans. Pay off all of your loans. Your retirement is guaranteed. Uh, $10 million would open up a few doors on uh, a new car or a new house, wouldn't it? Or several new houses. You could uh, be quite the benefactor. I would hope that you would pay your tithes first and foremost. We'd take it. Uh, but you understand suddenly this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Then you hear the game show host kind of invading your thoughts when he says, take your pick, just choose one option on this sign. If you agree to do whatever it is, then the money is yours. And the list has several items on it. And you only have to do one. All you have to do to receive a cool $10 million is choose one of the following. Number one, and he reveals them one at a time. They've been hidden up until now. Number one, put your children up for adoption. Oh, whoa, whoa. Right about then, we, we, you turn around and look at me and we say, wait a minute. What's going on here? As they pull off and reveal Number two, number two, remember, all you have to do is do one of these things and you'll get $10 million. Number two, become a prostitute for a week. Whew. Getting heavy right about then. Number three, give up your American citizenship. Number four, abandon your church. Number five, abandon your family. Uh, it's going to get tougher. The next one is, you just have to do one, not all of them, just one, not two, one. The next one is kill a stranger, murder them. The next one is have a sex change operation. The next one is leave your spouse. The next one is change your race. That's it. That's the list, the game show host says. Now make your choice. And so the theme music begins again, and the audience is quiet. Your pulse is racing. You have a choice to make. 
Nobody can help you. You're on the stage. The decision is yours. No one can tell you what to pick. But there is one thing that I can do right now for all of us that I can do for you. I can tell you what other people would do. Your neighbors have given their answer in a national survey. I'm not pretending now. We're done pretending. In a national survey that asked the very same question, many people said what they would do. 7% of those who answered would murder someone for the money. 7%. 6% would change their race. 4% would change their sex. They'd say, yeah, I'll have the sex change operation. Folks, if, uh, if money is any gauge of the heart, and it is, because the Bible says that it is, then this study revealed what a lot of Americans have in their heart. In exchange for $10 million, uh, did you know the Bible says money answereth all things? Book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, somebody said one time, love makes the world go round. That's not the way the world thinks. The world thinks money makes the world go round. Here's what Americans said in this survey. 25% would abandon their family for $10 million. 25% said they would abandon their church. I was actually surprised that that figure wasn't higher. 23% said they would become a prostitute for a week. 16% would give up their American citizenship. Now, in my notes here, I drew a circle around this one and the first one I read a while ago and drew an arrow between them. Did you, did you get that? 16% would give up their American citizenship, but 25% would abandon their family. More people would abandon their family that'd be willing to do that than being willing to not be a citizen of the United States anymore. 16% would leave their spouse. Now, in case you're doing the math, you could choose more than one. Okay, you didn't have to, in the survey, you weren't limited to just choosing one. You could check off which ones you would do for $10 million. 16% would leave their spouse. 13% would put their children up for adoption for $10 million. And even more revealing than what the people who answered this survey said they would do for that money. More revealing than that is that most of them would do something, would do any of these, one of these for $10 million. Two-thirds of those that were polled would agree to doing at least one. Two-thirds. And several people said they would do more than one. In other words, the majority of people going to such a game show as we've pretended to do so here this afternoon would not leave, the majority of people would not leave that stage empty-handed. They would pay the price to own the wheelbarrow. What would you do? It's a sobering question. Uh, or better yet, really I could rephrase the question like this. What are you doing right now you might say oh pastor brother Edwards, you get real 
I've never had a shot at $10 million. Perhaps not, but you've had a chance to make a thousand or a hundred or even $10. And really the amount isn't the main thing. Uh, The choice is. The choices are what is important, which makes the question to me even more disturbing. Some people are willing to give up their family, give up their faith, give up their morals in the world that we live in today for far less than $10 million. It's a fact. And Jesus had a word for that. Greed. Greed. Jesus also had a definition for greed. He called it the practice of measuring life by your possessions. In other words, greed equates a person's worth with a person's purse. Let me say that again in a different way. Greed, the way the world thinks today about money, uh, greed tells us what a person thinks they or anything else in life is worth. Here's the way the world thinks. You got a lot, then you are a lot. You're somebody. You got a little, and you are little. That's what the world says. That's the way the world thinks. And the consequences of thinking like that, of having that philosophy in your life, is predictable. What's going to happen, we can predict. If you are the sum of what you own, then the world says, by all means, own it all. Get as much as you can. No price is too high. No payment is too much. Now, I'll agree, very few people would be, uh, would not be guilty. Very few people would be guilty of of the just blatant greed. Uh, And Jesus knew that. That's why he cautioned against all kinds of greed. Put up Luke chapter 12, verse 15 again, Brother Terry. Luke 12 and 15. Is that in our... uh, Let me read it for you while he's looking for it. That wasn't in our list. We started with 16. Jesus said, uh, let's go back one verse, verse 15. Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. Now, what is covetousness? That's simply another word for greed. Take heed and beware of greed, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Jesus was directly opposing the thought, the thinking about money that a world has, that it has today, that it's always had, because it's rooted in our flesh nature to think that way about money. Get all that you can get. You know, when you think about it, I, I agree, money is a powerful thing. It's a powerful force, the possession of it in our world today. And I will agree, the more of it you have, uh, the easier life is on some levels, in some ways. Uh, 
But in some ways, it's not easier. In fact, Jesus said it's harder for a rich person, uh, or, or it's easier for a rich person to go through the eye of a needle than it is for them to go to heaven. God, if that's the case, I'd rather go to heaven than be rich in this life. And God knows whether we could make it. I've known very few rich people in the church. And that just bears out the fact that, that what Jesus said is true. That money has an astounding effect on the human psyche, on our thinking, on our goals, on uh, what we think about life and what we're going to do with our lives. Take heed and beware of covetousness or greed, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then he told the story about the rich man. Greed wears a lot of different faces. It, uh, it shows up in a lot of different ways. And uh, I'm going to tell you a story that I read to illustrate that. There was a missionary who uh, he and his wife went to live in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And uh, he was pastoring a small church there. And one day he went to visit a member of the church who had been a very faithful member for a long time, a very strong leader in the congregation. But he missed church several Sundays in a row. And uh, some friends told the pastor, the American missionary, that the man had inherited some money. And uh, so something was going on, and he, he was told, the missionary was told, the man has taken the money that he's inherited, and he's building a house with it. Remember, this is Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, very poor, poor community, poor city. So the pastor said, I went and found the church member at the construction site. He had inherited, are you ready for this? He had inherited $300. And with that money, he had purchased a tiny piece of ground, just a tiny lot that was right next to a polluted swamp. The plot of land, not the building, not the house, but the plot of land he was building the house on was about the size of a garage. And on this plot of ground, this man was by hand constructing a one-room house. Missionary wrote, he gave me a tour of the place. It took about 20 seconds. And then we went and sat down in front, and we talked. And he said, I told, I told my church member we'd been missing him at church, and the church needed him back. And uh, he said, the man got quiet, and he turned around, he looked at the half-finished project the house and he turned back around to his pastor and there were tears welling up in his eyes and he said you know what pastor you're right he confessed I guess I just got too greedy greedy the the missionary said I, I wanted to blurt out to the man you're building a hut the size of a bedroom in a swamp and you call it greed and then the pastor said, but I didn't say anything to the man because I realized that he was right. Greed is relative. Greed is not defined by how much money you have. It's not defined by what something costs. 
but it's measured by what it cost you. Let's let that sink in for a minute. Greed is not defined by how much something costs. It's measured by what it cost you. If anything costs you your faith, it's too much. If anything is going to cost you your relationship with God, it's too much. If anything is going to cost you your family, it's too much. And we could go on down the list. The price would be too high. That was the point that Jesus was making in this parable that he told this day uh, in Luke chapter 12. This man had uh, somehow made a windfall, a profit off of an investment, and the land that he had produced a bumper crop. Uh, let's, let's put up verse, uh, uh, verse 17. He thought within himself, well, verse 16, the ground a certain man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. My question is, uh, he said, I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater. My question is, what was he going to do with all of his stuff after he pulled down the old ones and while the new ones were being built? Well, he probably had them built first, didn't he? But the point here is clear. He said, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you're a fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Uh, it doesn't take too long for this man to decide what to do with his earnings. He's going to save them. He's not going to help anybody else. He's not going to give them away. That's another lesson for another day. But he's going to find a way to store his goods, his stuff, so that he can live the good life. So here's his plan. Accumulate as much as you can. Wine, dine, shine, and recline. Move to the Sun Belt, perhaps, or Florida. Play golf. Kick back. Relax. Does that sound familiar? How many times have I heard and seen in the media throughout my long life that same theme played out over and over and over again? It's in the media. It's in everything you watch and read and and look at it and, and hear people say, if I could just get to retirement with enough stuff, then I'll be all right. This man's plan went awry, though, because the Bible says suddenly he died. And then another voice is heard. It's the voice of God. And God really doesn't have anything kind or good to say to this man. His initial words are, you're a fool. You foolish man. Let me tell you what's wrong with your plan. You see, on the earth, the man was respected. And he was probably honored. He probably had a nice funeral and had a, I don't know, what's, what's, what's a nice casket? Mahogany? Is that expensive? People probably filled the funeral home or the place where the funeral was with admiration for this very smart businessman. And I'm sure a lot of comments 
were made about how smart he was and look what he did with his life. He made something of himself. So the world says. Again, you have to differentiate between what the world says, what the enemy, the devil will tell you, and what God tells you. And I'm sure if you look at the funeral of this man on the front row, there's family members already starting to bicker over their dad's estate. Foolish man, God declares. Who is going to get those things which you prepared for yourself? The point was God didn't really want to know the answer to that question. It was a rhetorical question. He didn't know. He, didn't, he wasn't getting at which family members were going to get what from this man's estate. God's point was, as far as that man was concerned, it didn't matter. Didn't matter how much stuff he died with. Once you die, it's gone. It is no more as far as you're concerned. Uh, that man spilt, really spent his life building himself a house of cards, and he never saw the storm coming. But the wind blew, and the storm wasn't the only thing that he didn't see. He didn't see God in all of that, in all of his plans for his life and all of his goals. Uh, notice his first words after this capital gain. Put up verse number 17, brother. He said, what will I do? What will I do? Because I don't have any room to store my stuff. He went to the wrong place and he asked the wrong question. What if he had gone to God and said, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? So really where the man went wrong, the, the man's sin wasn't uh, in that he planned for the future. That's a good thing to do. But the sin... Uh, that he committed. The problem was he didn't include God in his plans. Imagine, just imagine for a moment if somebody treated you like this man treated God. Let's just look at it. I I'm going to ask you to think practically for a few minutes here at this point in, in what I'm trying to get across to you. Let's suppose that you uh, brought in a house sitter to watch your house while you went away for a few weeks or over the weekend, vacation, whatever, and you left with the house sitter, you left her your keys, uh, your money, and instructions uh, about what to do, what she or what you wanted her to do with your stuff, and then you leave to enjoy your trip. Just imagine if you come back and you find that your house has been painted a bright purple. Now, somebody here may like purple. If you do, then you just pretend like it was a color you don't like. The locks have been changed. So you can't get in without ringing the doorbell, knocking on the door. And the house sitter, she answers the door. Before you can say anything, she escorts you in, and she starts, she interrupts you by saying, look how I decorated my house. And she's replaced the fireplace with an indoor waterfall. And the carpet has been replaced with bright pink tile. And portraits of Elvis on black velvet are all over the wall. And about that time, you yell, this isn't your house. It's mine. Folks, 
That's what God says to us about our lives and about our stuff. These aren't your possessions, God wants to remind us. They are mine. Let me tell you something. The house you live in today, the apartment, maybe it's rented. But if not, if, if you, quote, unquote, own the dwelling where you live, you really don't. It's not yours. It's God's. God just lets you use it and live in it for a while. Uh, I'm reminded of the story of the young boy, uh, four-year-old boy, who uh, his father took him to McDonald's for lunch. And uh, the dad was trying to eat healthy, you know, and so he didn't order any French fries. Well, that's the best thing about McDonald's, isn't it? You can't go to McDonald's without getting French fries. And if you didn't have lunch today, I'm sorry. I'm making you hungry. But anyway, they ordered, they sat down at the table, and they began to eat. And the little boy was so excited with his happy meal and, and the prize. And uh, the dad starting to, uh, he started to look at the boy's fries. And the lust of the flesh kicked in. You're supposed to laugh at that. The lust of the eye kicked in. Seriously, you better believe the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye kick in at several points during your day and my day every day and try to affect us and influence us. So dad's looking at the french fries, and they smell so good. Uh, they weren't cold. They were hot. Now, I will agree that one of the worst things you can put in your mouth is McDonald's french fries that have gotten cold. But when they're hot, man, they're good. And so dad couldn't resist, so he just reaches over and takes a couple of fries, just two of the french fries, and pops them in his mouth. And the little boy explodes. He says, what are you doing, Dad? The little boy couldn't believe what his terrible daddy had just done to him. And so he begins to make a fuss and complain that his dad stole his fries. And the first thought that the dad thought was, why, you little rascal, how could you be so ungrateful? I'm the one that gave you those fries in the first place. I'm the one that worked a job and got paid a salary so that I could bring you here in my car and buy you those French fries. I, I'm the one that, that without whom you would not have those fries. And finally, he thought, well, I've got news for you, buddy. I've got enough money. If I wanted to, I could bury you in French fries. Let's translate that to us and God. And we want to be stingy with what God has given us. And we want to say, I'm not going to give God 10% like he's asked me to. And he's going to let me have all the other 90%. And oh, by the way, he's going to bless that so that it expands and is worth as much as the 10% plus the 90% or even more because I'm being obedient to him. We want to pull that on God. I know it's getting quieter in here now because I'm talking about your money. It's not your money. 
It's the Lord's. God is the giver of life. God is the giver of breath. God is the giver of all good things. He's the one that brought us into this world, and he gave us everything that we have. He brought us to the table of life. He paid for our sins. Listen, what, a, what an insult it is for you or me to whine about what he requires from us to be in this partnership with him. Because there's a whole lot more where that came from. Uh, I'm reminded of another story. A pastor gave a man in his congregation before church began. He called the man in his office. He gave him a $100 bill. The pastor took a $100 bill out of his wallet, out of his pocket, and gave it to this man. And he said, I want you to help me with the sermon today. I want you to help me to make a point. The man said, sure, what do you want me to do? And the pastor said, at some point in my message, I am going to ask you to give me that $100 bill back to me. That's all I need you to do. Can you do that? Sure, okay. So during the sermon, the pastor said, is there anybody here who has a $100 bill? Well, as you can imagine, the man didn't really have to race other people to say yes. People weren't jumping up on their feet as fast as they could to say, yeah, I've got a $100 bill. We like to be very possessive with what we think is our money, don't we? So the man stood up. He said, yeah, pastor, I've got a $100 bill. And the pastor said, hey, that's great. Uh, Would you give it to me? And without hesitation, the man reached in his pocket. He pulled out the $100 bill, walked up to the pastor where he was preaching, and handed it to him. Now, picture this. The pastor didn't even say thank you, but he just turned his back on the man and walked away while he continued preaching. And immediately, the pastor noticed some, um, let's just call it disgusted looks on some of the faces of his saints that were listening. And uh, he could tell that some of his congregation didn't approve of how he handled that man and his money. And so he stopped, and he stopped his sermon, and he looked at the congregation, and he said, some of you didn't like what I just did, did you? But what you don't know is that before the service began, I gave that $100 bill to that man out of my own wallet, and I asked him to, are you listening? I asked him to keep it for me until it was time for him to give it back to me. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I gave him some money, you still listening? And I asked him to keep my money until I asked him to give it back to me. It's mine, and he did exactly what I instructed him to do with my money. What is the message behind that? Some people have the idea that the money in their bank account or in their wallet or in their purse, in their possession, is theirs, and they can do whatever they please with it. And even more than that, some people get offended that God would be so bold as to tell them what to do with their money when actually it's his. It's his. Uh, 
Elder Johnny James, a wonderful African-American apostolic preacher who I love to hear him. He preaches like nobody else. Uh, I'm going to read for you what he preached one time. He said, everything you have is God's. You woke up this morning in God's bed, wearing God's pajamas. You placed your feet on God's floor, and you walked into God's bathroom. You cleaned up in God's shower. You dressed in God's clothes, and you walked down God's staircase. You sat down at God's kitchen table, ate a piece of God's toast, drank a cup of God's coffee, coffee. You walked out into God's garage, strapped yourself in the seatbelt of God's car. You backed out of God's driveway and you drove down God's road to God's workplace and you got paid with God's salary. The point of that is this, like Job said, naked I came into this world, in other words, with nothing, and I'm going to leave here the same way, with nothing. Everything we have, folks, is on loan from God. It is incumbent upon us, it is our responsibility to do with it what he tells us to do with it. And people want to rob God. I don't know about you, but I'd rather rob the uh, people's bank here in Mount Vernon than rob God. Man, I don't understand some people. Well, I'll tell you what happens when people don't acknowledge that everything they have is God and don't do with it what God tells them to do with it. I'm talking about money now. They are deceived. The enemy has deceived them into thinking For whatever reason. And it's different reasons with different people. Some people say, I can't afford to do what God tells me to do with my money. I can't afford to give him 10%. You can't afford not to. Let me tell you something. God will get what's his one way or the other. It's better for you that it's the easy way by following his plan. Uh, God owns this world, folks. And everything in it. The Bible says the heavens, even the highest of heavens, are his. So God's foremost rule, his number one rule of finance is we own nothing. We are simply the manager of what God gives us, not owners. We are stewards. That's an old-fashioned term that is used in the New Testament. Jesus told several stewardship parables about the steward, and he told stories uh, or parables about uh, the owner leaving things in the hands of his steward or manager while he went away on a trip. And when he came back, he expected to have been done with his stuff what he instructed to be done with his stuff. And that's still the way it is today. We are maintenance people. We're not the owner. We're not the proprietor. Our money's not ours. Our home isn't ours. Our car isn't ours. Our pillow that we sleep on at night isn't ours. It's all his. It goes for, that goes for everything else that we've got. This man in the parable that Jesus told, and I've got to wind this up, he, uh, he really gave no thought to that. He really didn't. I want you to notice, I want to point out something. Jesus did not criticize the man for his affluence. It's not having the money that's the problem. 
Jesus didn't criticize him for having a lot of money. He criticized him for his attitude, for his arrogance. Uh, the rich man's own words testify uh, to what attitude he had. This is what I will do. I will tear down. I will store. I will build again. Then I can say to myself, I have enough of these things. Amen. And God said, you're a foolish man. You're a foolish man. It's strange, isn't it, that this man had enough sense to to be a, 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 a smart investor and to make money, but he wasn't smart enough to get ready for eternity. Praise God. So our musicians come. Uh, it's strange to me, though, that, that, that I pastor people and I know people, we all know people who make that same mistake. I mean, it's not as if God is keeping your future a secret one glance at a cemetery reminds us everybody dies one visit to a funeral should convince us we can't take anything with us I have never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer dead men don't push $10 million wheelbarrows. And the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, when it's all said and done, life isn't a game. The game show was pretend, yes, but the facts are very real. You are on a stage and you've been given a prize and the stakes are high. They're very, very high. And it's about more than just our money. Because Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world? If he gets all the stuff that his heart desires, yet loses his soul. God help us. God help us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Jesus, Lord, I know this is just Sunday school and it's just another Sunday afternoon adult Sunday school class lesson. But the lesson is so important, God. I'm just praying right now that you would help every one of us to get it. Help us to get it. Help us to wake up and realize, God, that if we're not thinking about life the way you want us to, especially in regard to our stuff, and all that this life affords, if we're not thinking about it the way you want us to, then change us. Change our thinking. Change our heart. If we're deceived, God, if we've been deceived into disobeying your word and handling our stuff, our money, in a way that's not pleasing to you and not according to your word and your wishes that you've outlined in your word, if we're not doing it your way, because we've been deceived and we're, we're thinking, well, I can't afford to do it God's way or whatever the justification is. God, help us to wake up today and realize that it's all lies, that your word is true, and that if we don't do what you've admonished us to in your word, God, it's not that you're just threatening us. It's not that, okay, we, we've been bad for a while in this life. We're going to have to go sit in the corner for a while. And then after we've sat in the corner for a while, then everything's going to be okay. And 
No, God, help us to understand that our thinking on this very important matter of who's the owner in our life, that that is so very, very closely tied with our eternity and where and how we're going to spend eternity. God, we want to be with you. We want to love you. And Lord, that's what it all boils down to, that if we really love you the way we're supposed to love you, we'll do what you said. We'll do what you said for us to do in your word about our money, about our possessions, and about everything else in our life. That's what it boils down to, God. How much do we really love you? I want to love you, Lord, like you said for me to, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength, with everything I've got. And it all comes down to our attitude and what we think in our heart, in our mind. Help us to think right. Help us to think the way you want us to think. Help us to look at it our entire life the way you want us to look at it and know with clear thoughts and understanding. Give us the word of, of, of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that we might see things from your viewpoint. And then we'll have the blessings that you've said could be ours. Thank you for it, Jesus. We praise you for it. Will of God be done in how we spend our money, which really isn't ours, it's yours, and how we lead our lives and how we live our lives in everything. Will of God be done in all of it, we pray. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.